Welcome to CLCC Online. We pray that this message draws you towards Jesus and strengthens your walk with Him. We believe that we are meant to do life in community. If you live in the Fraser Valley area, we would love to get you connected into the family. Find everything you need at clcc.ca. Enjoy. Hi, everybody. Thank you for welcoming us into your homes. We're beginning a brand new series this week, and we're entitling this series Galatians, A Community Shaped by the Spirit. And it's my job this morning, my privilege this morning or today, to introduce the book of Galatians to you. The book of Galatians is actually the first book in the New Testament that was written. Most people think that the Gospels came first, but the Gospels actually came quite late. The Gospels actually weren't written until after the church had been fairly well established and it, they, Christians came to realize that Jesus wasn't coming back in their lifetime. And so maybe they better write something down. And there was some uh, controversy going on in the church, some heresies, some doctrinal issues are going on in the church. And so the Gospels were written in order to clarify the truth about Jesus's life and Jesus's teaching. So the book of Galatians is written by the Apostle Paul around 47 to 50 AD. So pretty early in the life of the church. And as I said earlier, it's the very first uh, written account of Paul trying to help the church understand theology. It's really about uh, what it means to be shaped by the Spirit of God, what it really means to be the community of faith, what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. And some of the questions that are going to be answered in uh, the book of Galatians are, what difference does Jesus really make personally and communally? In other words, not just uh, the fact that Jesus saves us, but how then should we live in the midst of other people who are followers of Jesus? Another question would be, what is it like to live in the kingdom of God today? And, and another question that we're going to address is, what should we expect of the church? If this is true, if what Jesus has done for us has, has made us brand new kinds of people, then what does it mean for the church? What should the church look like? So the book of Galatians, in fact, is written during a crisis. It's after the Paul's the apostles' first missionary journey to Turkey, and this is recorded in Acts 13 and 14. What's happening in, in the, uh, the world where Paul was an evangelist is that Gentile or idol worshipers were coming to Jesus. They were getting saved. They were being filled with the Spirit. They were becoming new creatures in Christ, like 2 Corinthians 5.16 talks about, becoming new creations, a new kind of human being. And Jewish believers began to be upset that they, the Gentile believers weren't following the Jewish dietary laws, nor were they being circumcised. In, in fact, the, the earliest Christians, because they were Jews, they were looking at these Gentile converts and saying, well, boy, they, they sure act differently than we do. They don't go to the synagogue. They don't go to the temple. They don't follow the dietary laws like, like we have and our parents have and our parents' parents have. And, and, and yet they're claiming to be uh, part of our family, part of uh, Abraham's offspring, part of those who are inheriting the promises that were way back to Abraham and Moses back in the Old Testament. 
And, and this, this kind of, this concern and, and at times outrage over the fact that the Gentiles weren't looking very Jewish in their following of Jesus uh, caused even the apostle Peter to withdraw from eating with the Gentiles uh, for fear that he might be contaminated or fear that he might be looking too Gentile and not Jewish enough. So part of the crisis was that there were some theological concerns. What did it really mean to be a follower of Jesus? And did you have to follow the Old Testament Torah uh, to a detail of the dietary laws and, and circumcision? But there was also a political concern. Uh, the, the theological concern was, were the Old Testament laws essential? Uh, and actually, Peter knew already, uh, because in Acts chapter 10, he had this vision uh, that Jesus sent to him to really explain to him that the dietary laws, that the, the, uh, under the new covenant, under the, the kingdom of God that was, that was brought about by Jesus were no longer necessary. Remember, he saw all these creatures and, and the Lord said, you know, take and eat. And Peter, ah, a Jewish person can't eat those kinds of things. He said, no, no, I've made everything clean. Everything's new. Everything's different. And so uh, Peter should have known theologically that it was okay for the Gentiles not to follow the dietary laws or the circumcision laws of, of the Old Testament. But perhaps the bigger issue at stake here was a political issue. You see, the Jews had a special privilege under Roman law not to worship the idols. You have to remember that in, in first century Rome, there was a pantheon of gods that were being worshipped. And the average Roman citizen believed that their health and welfare, their economy, the uh, productivity of their livestock, uh, the weather conditions were dependent on the people uh, praying and sacrificing to these pagan gods. And so uh, idols were all over the place. Temples were all over the place. And, and the Roman people believed that, that the more they worshipped at these temples, the more they sacrificed to these gods, the better it would be for their health and welfare. And for people to refrain from worshiping the gods, it was thought to be an act that really endangered the welfare of the Roman Empire. But the Jews had an exemption from this. They, they could worship Yahweh, they could worship God only and not the other gods, and they were exempt from having what the Romans called an illegal religion. All the other kinds of religions that didn't worship the pagan gods were considered to be illegal religions. And so the Jews had this special privilege that as long as they uh, worshiped their gods, and as long as they prayed for the Roman, Roman emperor, then they were off the hook and they could practice their monotheism and they didn't have to worship the other gods. Now the Roman citizens didn't like this very much, but it, the emperor had given them a special privilege. Now when these Gentile believers began to act in ways that didn't look very Jewish, and claimed to be the same as the Jews that were living in Jerusalem who were Christians, this caused the Jewish Christians to become fearful that the behavior of the Gentiles was going to cause them to lose their position, their, their um, ability not to have to worship all the pagan gods. This was a big concern for them. You see, they thought that their privilege of worshiping God and not all the pagan deities was at risk because of Gentile Christians coming into their community and uh, showing that uh, really they didn't have to worship all those gods. 
If you looked and acted Jewish, you could avoid the accusation of endangering the health and the safety of Rome. But if you stepped outside that, then you might be perceived to be practicing an illegal religion, and therefore the Jews could lose this great privilege. Some history is in order. In Acts chapter 8, after the stoning death of Stephen, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. This is about 35, 36 AD, not long after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So only very Jewish Christians stayed in Jerusalem. Even Greek-speaking Jews were persecuted and they left Jerusalem. They called this the diaspora. In fact, uh, many uh, historians say that this was one of the causes for the spread of the church so rapidly because many of the Christians who weren't very strict Jews were uh, kicked out of Jerusalem and they spread over the whole known word, uh, world uh, preaching the gospel. Now, Paul is preaching the gospel to Gentile believers in Galatia on his first missionary journey, and people are coming to faith, and uh, Paul was claiming that these people who were coming to faith, even though they were Gentiles, even though they came from a pagan background, were actually true descendants of Abraham. In fact, he was claiming that they were truly the kind of people that God had from the very beginning planned to create for this kingdom. The fulfillment of the promises to Abraham were being fulfilled by the church, whether they were practicing Jews or they were um, completely gone away from the Jewish kind of dietary restrictions and circumcision and all that, and, and simply being followers of Jesus. And of course, this, as I said before, called the Christian caused the Christians of Jerusalem to be worried. So here we have Paul writing Galatians. Let's look at chapter 1, verse 1 to 5. Paul, an apostle, sent out from men, not by a man, but by Jesus Christ, and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of God, our Father and our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. So, Father, thank you for the word. Thank you for this little letter that the apostle wrote so long ago that speaks so loudly to us about what it means to be formed by the Spirit, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that we would take these lessons to heart and that we would live them out, not only personally, but in community with others uh, in the community of faith. So, Lord, open our eyes, open our hearts and help us to live in ways that are truly honoring and glorifying to Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. You see, what the, um, the Jewish believers who had come from Jerusalem and had come to Galatia to uh, kind of straighten the Apostle Paul out, is what they were saying is that, you know, this Apostle Paul, he, he really wasn't uh, a true apostle. He wasn't a real apostle because he wasn't around with Jesus uh, during Jesus' life and ministry. And uh, the Apostle Paul wants to correct that. And he's going to spend a couple of chapters defending his apostleship in the book of Galatians because this was such a serious accusation. But here in the opening, he says, he's an apostle sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. So what he's referring to his, is his Damascus Road experience, that he believes that when he experienced the revelation of Jesus coming into his life, Jesus personally 
called him to be an apostle for uh, the sake of Jesus and for the sake of the kingdom of God. Now, the apostle Paul usually begins his letters with compliments, with a thanksgiving prayer, (laughs) but not so here in Galatians. Here, even in verse six, the verse that we didn't get to, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. We get this sense, and even in the introduction to the letter, that Paul's upset. He's upset with what these Jewish teachers, these people from Jerusalem, were saying to the people in his church about what they had to do in order to truly be followers of Jesus. They had to follow the dietary laws. They had to be circumcised. And and Paul's upset because he believes this goes contrary, completely contrary to what Jesus intended for the church. So Paul then summarizes the gospel in this introduction. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace, grace and peace. This was the typical greeting that came from both the Greek culture and the Jewish culture of Jesus' day. When Jews met met each other on the street, they would uh, say to one another, shalom or peace, because this was a longing for their culture that they would be at peace, that the the striving and the strife and the wars and the the overlords would all be removed and they would finally be at peace as as a nation. Now, when Greeks greeted each other, they didn't say peace to each other. They said something like grace. They said something like karate, which, which means joy, blessing, happiness, Hope that comes to you. And Paul uses that greeting. He changes it slightly. He comes up with this word grace. I hope you're surprised by joy. I hope God's blessing is in your life today. And what we see in this greeting is that what Paul is trying to help us understand is that the longing from our culture, from our ethnic background, is being fulfilled in what Jesus Christ has done for us. I was asking some of my students the other day about um, their traditional greetings from their countries. And some of the Indian uh, folks said uh, a typical greeting that they would have is hamasta when they greeted one another or blessing or peace or fulfillment. And and the Islamic uh, men said that when they greeted one another, they hugged one another and patted one another on the back. That was typical of their ethnic desire, their ethnic longing to be in unity together, to be together. and and, in community. Paul goes on to say uh, that this Jesus Christ, this Lord, gave himself for our sins. He died so that we could be forgiven. This is really important in the context of Galatians. What Paul is doing here is he's creating an image for us to help us understand that when Jesus died, it was like a new Passover. Remember the story of the Passover the children of Israel were trying to get out of Egypt and these miracles kept taking place under the authority of Moses and God and and the Egyptians refused to let them go. And finally, the last miracle is that the firstborn of the Egyptians was going to die unless they painted uh, blood on their doorposts. And only the Jewish people did this. They sacrificed lambs, they took their blood and they painted it on the doorpost. And the death angel passed over those homes and didn't caused the death of any of the children in the home. So that's where the word Passover comes from. And this was the, the straw that broke the camel's back in Egypt. The children of Israel released. They were let go. And so when Jesus dies, 
Uh, and remember, John the baptizer said that Jesus is the Lamb of God. When Jesus dies, it's like a new Passover has taken place, a new deliverance, a new exodus, a new um, way of getting out of slavery has taken place. And so this is the imagery that the Apostle Paul is painting for us of this new exodus. He goes on to say, to rescue us from the present evil age. So in other words, this new exodus is not a physical exodus from a a location such as the children of Israel got out of Egypt. This is a spiritual deliverance, a spiritual deliverance from an old way of living, from an old way of being slave to what? Our flesh or being a slave to our masters, to being a slave from the powers or the spirits of our age. This is a spiritual deliverance into a new kind of freedom. In other words, the Apostle Paul is basically saying a new age has arrived with Jesus' death and resurrection. We have been rescued when we've been saved. Now, keep in mind that this rescue that he's talking about is not a rescue from the world and going into heaven. This is a rescue from the present evil age, from the worldview of our culture, from the sin and the destructiveness of our culture into a new kind of kingdom, a spiritual kind of kingdom that has a different set of laws than the old kingdom. In fact, it has a different set of laws from the Old Testament kingdom, from the Jewish kingdom. It has has laws about loving God with our whole hearts and loving one another wholeheartedly. We are now called to redeem the evil age. So instead of escaping from the earth, from the world, instead we're called to be a different kind of human being, a different kind of person living empowered by the Spirit to make a difference in the age that we live in. In fact, the Bible paints the picture of these new kingdom people as almost like being billboards for the world to see about what it meant to be a new kind of human, a new kind of person, a new kind of person who can thrive in the midst of an evil age. We're now living in that new kingdom. And Paul goes on to say, according to the will of our God and Father. This has been the plan from the very beginning. And and Paul wants to make this point, and he'll make this point through the first four chapters of Galatians, that God's plan from the very beginning, the promise to Abraham, the promise to, to, through Moses to the children of Israel, has been fulfilled through Jesus Christ. It's, it's not some accident that Jesus died on the cross. This was God's plan. It's a plan from the very beginning. The promise to Abraham has been fulfilled. His, Jesus' death is not a surprise. And by the way, because of that, don't dare go back to Egypt. Remember the children of Israel? They just get out of Egypt and they're wandering through the wilderness and God's provision is there at every turn and God supplies all of their needs and that they constantly complain and want to go back to Egypt to the old ways, to the old slavery. And this is the image the Apostle Paul has in mind to what the uh, people from Jerusalem who are trying to convince the Gentiles to follow the Old Testament law, he's convinced that that's what they're doing. They're leading them back to Egypt, back into slavery. And he says, don't do it. Don't go back. That would be like going back to slavery all over again. He then goes on to say, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Slaves are set free, are grateful. (laughs) 
they honor and worship God because of their freedom. What a tremendous thing. It's hard to imagine in our culture what it must have been like to be a slave, to be in bondage, to in servitude, to work your whole life, to, to uh, feel as if that you had no freedom to make your own decisions or go your own way, but kept in poverty your whole life. Slaves are grateful, and this is Paul's uh, expression, to whom God, to whom be glory forever and ever. Don't go back to Egypt. Don't leave this because someone comes along and says that, that you're not quite as you should be. You need to add more. No, you've got it all because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Allow this new kind of life to be lived in you. Be a new kind of person. Be a new kind of human being in the world in which you live. And be that individually as Jesus has transformed your life and be it in community. Now, the Apostle Paul is going to go on in the letter to explain this in greater detail. In the first four chapter, Paul sets out his theology. He defends his apostleship and he goes on to tell us what it truly means to be children of Abraham who are children because of faith and because of what Jesus has done for us. And in the last two chapters of the book of Galatians, he calls us to the practical application. In other words, if this is true, if we are new kinds of people living in a new kind of kingdom with new kinds of laws and observances, then, then what does it mean, practically speaking? And he says things like this to us. He says, stand firm then right? And don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage, right? Don't go back. He says things like, you were called to be free, but don't let your freedom to be an opportunity just to fulfill your flesh because you'll fall back into slavery again. He says, live by the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust, the desires of the flesh. He says things like, watch yourself unless you too fall into temptation. He says things like, Let's not become weary in doing good because in due time we will reap a reward. We'll reap the harvest. So the last two chapters of the book of Galatians are filled with imperatives, things that we are to do as the people of God with our understanding of who we are as the people of God. So Paul's upset. Uh, Paul sees the church as being in crisis. <laughs> Chapter 3, verse 1, he says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? If Jesus died for us, we need to live that new life now in the power of the Spirit. Instead of returning to slavery, we need to live out the life that Jesus has set out for us as kingdom people. We can't go back to Egypt. We can't go back to the old ways of living. We can't go back to the Old Testament laws. We need to live the life of the Spirit as he encourages and teaches us and challenges us to be redemptive in the culture in which he's placed us. This requires not only a personal transformation, but a communal transformation. In other words, because God has transformed us individually, this should mean that we live a new kind of way with others. The people of God, the church of Jesus Christ, should be distinct from any club or any organization that we find around us in the world because of the life of the Spirit in us. And I guess the question that the Apostle Paul would challenge us with is this. Are you living like a new kind of human? 
Uh, did Jesus' death and resurrection make a difference to you not only personally, not only intimately, not only give you uh, freedom from sin, freedom from um, uh, your old nature? Uh, does Jesus not only give you the opportunity to go to heaven, but does Jesus make a difference here and now in the way you treat your family, in the way you, uh, well, the way you practice whatever work you're doing and in, in the way you interact with fellow students or when you act interact with fellow teachers in the way that you interact with the folks at starbucks or the cashier at uh, save on foods uh, and this is what paul is calling us to he's calling us to live a new kind of life not only individually but communally so that the kingdom of god can advance that the people who don't know jesus can see us and know that we're jesus followers well, this gets Paul in all kinds of trouble. He, he gets it, he, him in trouble with the uh, Roman authorities. He gets him in trouble with the Jewish Christians from Jerusalem. You see, whenever we step outside private religion, we cause trouble. As long as we keep our faith private, if, if knowing Jesus is just something that we internalize, uh, if, if, if it doesn't really make any difference in how we live in the public sphere, but only how we live in our churchy kind of settings, then, well, we're like those Jewish Christians in Jerusalem who um, go to synagogue and go to the temple and no one really realizes that they're Christians because they live just like all the other Jewish people. We don't cause any upset at all. But as soon as our faith in Jesus becomes more than something that's simply private, but because something that's public, it actually affects the way we live, then often... We get in trouble for that. Well, that's what happened to Jesus. That's what happened to Paul. That's what happens to people. But thank the Lord, his spirit is with us. He encourages us. He enables us to live the kind of life that's pleasing to him. And do you know what? This is the kind of life that changes the world. This is the kind of life that makes a difference. Let's pray. So, Father, we thank you for this letter uh, written so long ago that the Apostle Paul penned for the Church of Galatia, and not only that, for us. We thank you for the hope that we have, that we know that you have made a personal difference in our lives and we're free. We're free to follow the Spirit in, in our workplace and in our churches, no matter where we are. Help us to live, Lord, as new kinds of human beings. Help our community to be refreshing and life-giving and supportive and loving and generous. All these things that we see in the New Testament community as, as Jesus uh, showed his followers to live, we want to live that way. Lord, help us not to be tempted to, to go back into old ways and to, to, um, to serve ourselves or to to impose on others uh, certain regulations that, that we believe that they need to have in order to truly be followers of Jesus, but help us all to be sensitive and aware of your Holy Spirit moving in and through and among us. Oh, Jesus, help us. Help us, your church. Help us, your church, to really act and live out what it truly means to be kingdom people in this present evil age. We pray this in your name for your honor, for your glory. Amen. Thanks for joining us. 
If you are looking to get connected, we are one church in multiple locations. Our Aldergrove campus meets at Parkside Elementary School, Sundays at 10.30 a.m. Our Abbotsford campus has two services each Sunday, 9 a.m. and 10.45 a.m. We would love to see you at one of our in-person gatherings. If you would like to financially support us, you can always give at clcc.ca slash give. See you next time.